This is a free extract from Fukushima Dreams by Zelda Riando. Chapter 8 Sachiko looked around the gym hall of the secondary school in Kuji, where the survivors from Taro had been evacuated. Every inch of floor was covered with futons, with some people sleeping and others just gazing into the distance, checking their phones for news or thinking about what they had lost. The mood was as dark as the night outside. Power had still not been restored to the town, and even those structures that were still standing had no running water. Aftershocks kept the level of fear high, never knowing when the trembling would start again, completing the destruction of already damaged structures. There wasn't much news to punctuate the waiting, although every able-bodied man who could stand was out looking for survivors. It did little good. Few bodies had been recovered from the wreckage after the first 24 hours, and none alive. The destruction wreaked by the series of giant waves that had followed the earthquake had been almost total, smashing everything in its path for a distance of kilometres inland. For five days after that, tremors measuring up to 3.5 on the Richter scale continued to test the resolve of the survivors. But for the last couple of days, all had been calm. Sachiko still couldn't believe that she'd survived. A piece of luck that felt ironic indeed, given her withdrawal from a world she felt unequal to. She had lost as much as anyone. There'd been no word on Harry or Tashi. It was as if they'd both entirely vanished. No one had seen a gaijin with a baby. No trace of their bodies had been uncovered. It was just possible that they'd been washed out to sea. Thousands were still missing. Thousands would probably never be found. The fire corps were excavating buildings of the thick mud that covered those structures still standing, masked against the stench of rotting fish, deposited in the most unlikely places by the hungry waves. Taro had defences against the sea, against the tsunami that were not uncommon here on the edge of the Pacific. But there'd never been an earthquake like this. They were calling it a mega-thrust event. Such inadequate words to describe the shattering of worlds. The news cycled in endless repetition of the same few facts, until she couldn't watch it anymore and turned away. The government seemed to be drip-feeding as little information as they could get away with. The fate of the nuclear reactors at Fukushima, in danger of meltdown after multiple breaches of their cooling chambers, was at the forefront of everyone's mind. There was a feeling of apocalypse, of the world ending, or of everything changing into something else. All over the north people were being evacuated by hundreds of thousands all the tiny rituals of daily life shattered. Sajiko looked at the people around her. They were quiet, withdrawn, their faces pinched with worry. Life had been hard and growing harder for some time, what with static exports, increasing competition, global recession, and especially in the north, an ageing population, growing unemployment. But the Japanese had hunkered down and soldiered through. This new blow had rocked the country to its core. 
She had seen amazing solidarity and kindness among the people of Tarot, a determination to rebuild no matter what the cost. But it would be hard, and there was not a little fear mixed with that determination. So much had been lost, so much to be rebuilt, and no certainty of where the funding would come from, the mercy of strangers. Sachiko had no idea where to begin looking for Harry and Tashi. Hourly she waited her turn at the internet terminal, scouring the lists of those rescued, visiting the makeshift morgue. She'd left descriptions of them both with the authorities, and they alerted her to the tiny percentage of gaijin that had been recovered and cleaned up. Each time she pulled back the sheet from a face surrounded by dark curls, her heart froze. It was never him. Caucasian male, six foot two inches, dark hair, brown eyes. There was so much left out. Could that really describe him? There were very few babies. So she lived in limbo, one day hoping and believing that they were still alive and looking for her too, the next convinced that she would never see them again. And after all, in a country of more than a million displaced, it would be like looking for a single petal in a heap of cherry blossom. Now she couldn't stand the atmosphere of the refugee centre anymore. She had to break the cycle of queuing and checking for news. There was never any news. She decided to go for a walk. The spring days were still cool and the air felt chilly as she wandered down the streets at random, heading towards the edge of town. Here the lanes were narrow, and the buildings, one and two storey, gave straight onto the road. As she passed each home, she caught glimpses of disconcerting normality. It was as if the whole nightmare had never happened. On the streets there were still evidence, and traces of the earthquake, the start of the clean-up operation. But these small dwellings in the lanes had come through relatively unscathed and their owners had been quick to mend and sweep and return their lives to normality as fast as possible. There were baskets hanging from the low eaves, spilling out ivy, spring flowers peeping from the tops. Potted plants lined the lane, green spears of buds poking through the soil. Above, the thin slice of blue sky showed scudding clouds. Sachiko hadn't noticed any of these things for a long time. She'd been too lost inside herself, in the room that she'd created in her mind. But now these and other impressions of the real world came flooding in. She felt something inside herself straining into life, as though she were a spring bulb, new shoots blindly questing towards the light. Turning a corner, she came upon a modest Shinto shrine, red paint flaking from the gate. Uneven steps snaked up to the shrine, hidden amongst the tall trees that surrounded it. She placed her foot upon the first step, the call of a wild place strong after the desperation of city streets. It had been a very long time since she had made an offering, not since she discovered that she was pregnant with Tashi. The steps were steep and uneven, 
the thin rope that snaked up along the, small, the side, small reassurance in the face of their vertiginous height. Soon she'd lost sight of the city behind her completely, and the only sounds were the cawing of crows. Fallen leaves rotted by the snows of winter muffled her steps, save for the occasional crack of branches that littered the steps. As she climbed, the trees grew ever larger, native Japanese varieties replacing the fir trees that marched in military lines across so much of the landscape. Sunlight slanted through branches, starting to be covered with the raiment of spring. Above her, she could see another gate. She was nearing the shrine and the smell of incense lay heavy on the air. Stopping at the burners, she purified herself with the smoke that drifted from them and pulled the bell that would tell the spirit someone had come to worship. The very familiarity of the actions was comforting. She moved into the shrine proper and was relieved to see that it was deserted. She had the place to herself. Climbing the steps, she threw a few yen into the Saisen and then stepped back, bowing and clapping as the custom demanded. The ritual was relaxing, even though the rational part of her mind, the part that had married Harry, was not sure it would make the slightest bit of difference. She considered what to pray for. Should she ask for her family to be returned safely? Would that be a wasted prayer? It seemed certain that they had both perished when the village was destroyed. Maybe she should save her prayers for Japan, or for the thousands of children orphaned by the great East Japan earthquake, as it had started to be called. For those affected by the radiation, even now leaking into the sea and the air, what future would they have? In the end, she found she couldn't decide what to pray for. There seemed so many vying demands, so many broken lives. All she could hope was that the future would bring something better and send an inchoate wish to the universe to make it so. Surely between destruction and salvation there should be some balance. She rang the temple bell again and backed away respectfully from the shrine. The sun was shining, but the day was still chilly. She would have liked to stay in this peaceful place a while longer, savouring the whisper of the breeze amidst the trees, listening to the birds complaining of their little ills. But she turned her feet back to the refugee centre, descending the steep steps with care. She had nowhere else to go, and maybe she could be of some use. What do you feel like eating? It's too hot for noodles. All I want to eat in this weather is tofu and ginger and a chilled salad. Harry shook his head irritably, as if to brush away a fly. What did you say? I asked you what you wanted to eat for lunch. It's nearly 12.30. Aren't you hungry? You've been staring at that notebook for hours. I've been working for hours, you mean. But it's true. I haven't been making much progress. I don't mind. Anything's fine. Tofu, whatever. Okay, I'll make that then. I've got a pregnancy appointment this afternoon. I'm dreading walking there in this weather. Is there something wrong? No, no, it's just a routine check. You can come along if you like. Well, I'm not making much progress with the writing. Sure, I'll come along. 
Where's the hospital? It's not at the hospital. It's at the Women's Health Centre. It's not too far. I usually walk there. We can go straight after lunch. Well, I'm not making any progress with this story. I'll come with you if you like. It's about time I got to see the little bugger. Yes, it's lucky the appointment fell in the midterm break this time. And it's always exciting seeing the ultrasound. Dr Yamada thinks he'll be able to tell the gender of the child this time. That is, if you want to know. Of course I want to know. I've never understood why people keep it a secret from themselves. Of course it will be a boy anyway. The firstborns in my family have been boys for generations. So you say, Sachiko replied dryly, but this baby is half Japanese. We shall see. Anyway, I'd like to know if the baby is a boy or a girl. It will help me to get to know him or her better. It still feels strange, a whole human life developing inside me. At least if I know if it's a boy or a girl, it won't feel like an alien. Harry shot a look at her. Seemed a strange thing to say. Sachiko busied herself preparing the food whilst Harry watched her. They ate in silence, and Sachiko washed up and got ready to leave the apartment. Just before they left, she drank another glass of water, and Harry looked askance. I need to pee in a cup when I get there, Sachiko explained with a blush. It's easier to pee if you've had plenty to drink. By the time they reached the clinic, both of them were sweating. Sachiko pulled out a cloth printed with rabbits and used it to mop her forehead and the nape of her neck before opening the door that led inside. I hate Tokyo in August. Now the poor doctor has to deal with a sweaty patient. Still, I suppose they're used to it. Take a seat whilst I let them know we're here. Harry watched while Sachiko went over to the desk and gave her name. The clinic didn't seem that busy, and he was the only man. Around him, half a dozen women, mostly alone and in varying stages of pregnancy, flicked through magazines whilst they waited for their appointments. Sachiko had a brief conversation with the receptionist and handed over some coupons. She was given a paper cup and vanished into the restroom whilst Harry distracted himself by creating stories for the people around him. Sachiko had told him it was normal practice to have an ultrasound scan at every appointment. He didn't know enough about pregnancy at home to know if it, it, that it was the same in England. His sister had had a child, and presumably gone through this. Strange, she had not so much thought of his niece in all the years he'd been away. And now he was going to be a father and his child already had a cousin. Was it always the case that having a child of your own made you reevaluate the family ties you thought you'd cut? It was an interesting question. Sachiko came back then, the paper cup discreetly covered with a tissue. It shouldn't be too long. The doctor's running on time today. That's good. I was just about to consider trying to distract myself with some of these magazines. I guess men don't tend to come to these kinds of places that often. He considered sharing his thoughts about his niece and how his sister's experience might compare to Sachiko's. But something stopped him. He'd got out of the habit of sharing, of talking about what was going on inside. The upshot was these kind of stilted conversations. Not that often, no. It's still mostly seen as a woman's business. There's no taboo against it. It's just not that common for men to come to these kinds of appointments. 
I guess maybe that's changing slowly. <laughs> like everything here. Harry waited outside until the receptionist signalled to him that he could go in. Sachiko was reclining on a chair, chatting cheerfully with the doctor, her stomach bared. A screen to her left was blank at present. Come in aside, Dr Yamada-san. I'm Harry Turnbull, Sachiko's husband. Pleased to meet you. Good afternoon. Please take a seat. The doctor motioned him to an empty chair and continued in rapid Japanese, which Harry strained to follow. He gathered that Dr Yamada was telling Sachiko about their child's stage of development. On the table was a plastic doll, about the length of a small melon. Sachiko saw him looking and waited for a break in the monologue, before speaking deferentially. Omena Sai, Dr San, may I explain to my husband? Of course, the doctor paused. Sachiko turned to Harry. Dr Yamada is just explaining how big the baby is now. About the same size as that model on the table. Can you believe our baby has grown so much already? It is amazing, replied Harry in English. I didn't realise that babies were so fully formed at only five months. It's a small human. And then in Japanese, Sugoi na? Dr Yamada smiled and started speaking again, a little more slowly this time, whilst applying a clear gel to Sachiko's exposed stomach. He started to run the ultrasound wand round the softly rising slope of her belly, and suddenly they both saw the screen come to life. Harry had seen pictures of ultrasound scans before, but they never showed detail like this. He had assumed it would be the usual grainy 2D scan, but this was in three dimensions and astonishingly detailed. It really is amazing, he found himself saying again, and reaching over to clasp Sachiko's hand. He found himself looking to see if he could see any genitals, and there it was. So, you didn't think we'd be having a boy, Sachiko? And it's like a fine boy to me. Dr. Your mother's son, does that look like a boy to you? It does indeed. I'm just going to take some measurements to ensure that his development is where it should be for this stage. But it all looks fine to me. Would you like a picture to take away with you? Yes, please, Dr. Yamada. Sachiko sat up and adjusted her clothing. She hadn't commented on the gender of their child, and Harry wondered if she was secretly disappointed. He didn't care. He squeezed her hand again and smiled at her. Sachiko looked back at him with an unreadable expression before turning her attention again to Dr Yamada. He was busy at his computer recording the details of the session and with a final flourish at the keys turned back to them. Well, Mr and Mrs Turnbull, it seems all is proceeding as expected and you can look forward to a healthy baby boy if all continues to go smoothly. I'll see you at your next check-up. Thank you very much, Dr. Yamada. Sachiko bowed as she spoke, and Harry somewhat clumsily followed. They went back out to the reception, and Harry waited while Sachiko brought her records to the receptionist to be updated, and collected the picture. There were fewer women now in the waiting room, and Harry found himself looking at them with slightly different eyes. They were not just pregnant females, but prospective parents, like Sachiko and himself. They weren't just bumps and swollen ankles and strange aches and pains, but growing and developing babies. 
Sachikov finished up and came over to him, and he felt a sudden protective urge that made him reach out to take her arm. Usher her through the door. Thanks, how was that for you? It was great. Don't you feel the same way? It's incredible to see our son growing inside you. Sure, I'm very happy that the baby's healthy and doing well, but it wasn't the first time for me. The ultrasound is astonishing before you get used to it. And we're having a boy. I hate to say I told you so, but... Yes, you were right. A little boy. Our son. I'm not sure what to think about it yet. I'm just happy that it's a human and doing so well. It's not an it. It's a he. You're right. He's doing so well. It's a lot to get used to. At least we know now. Sachiko fell silent and looking across at Harry to see. Sachiko fell silent, and looking across, Harry could see that she was looking pensive. What's wrong, Sachiko? I was wondering if I should tell my parents about the child. I haven't been in contact with them for a while. It doesn't feel right not to tell them about their first grandchild, though. I'm not sure what to do. I can't tell you what to do. I was thinking about my family too earlier, about when my sister was pregnant with my niece. It's not like we're planning on running over there immediately. Let's wait and see what happens, shall we? You're probably right. It's been a long time since we were in touch, and what if something went wrong? It's better to wait a while. Oh, it's too hot to think. Let's just get home and we can talk about it when we get there. They walk back slowly. If anything, it had got even hotter and muggier during the brief hour they'd spent at the clinic. Both were silent, each of them thinking, considering, marvelling over the new life they'd seen developing on the scanner. For Sachiko, it was the latest of several snapshots, each documenting and charting the life growing inside her. But a boy? She tried to imagine what he would be like. Would he grow up to tower over her, like Harry? Reflexively, she stroked her belly. In the last week, there'd been a distinct pop, and she'd gone from positive, possibly chubby, to definitely pregnant. Her navel now pointed out. It was a strange and unsettling sensation. Her whole centre of balance had changed. She felt a moment of panic as the inevitability of it all overwhelmed her. The birth, and bringing this new person into the world and then a calm feeling overtook her as they waited to cross a busy road. And a small child, hand clasped tight in his mother's, gazed up at her with trusting eyes. A part of his, her mind wryly blamed endorphins, but it felt good, all the same, to welcome this new person into their life. As the lights changed and the tide of humans swept forward, she felt Harry's guiding hand in the small of her back and turned to look at him, fleetingly. He was lost in abstraction, his action automatic. For Harry, the clinic visit and the ultrasound had been a lot to take in. Up till now he'd taken a back seat in the pregnancy, content to receive regular reports from Sachiko, but not really connected to the whole process. Suddenly, viscerally, he felt his child. His heartbeat, heard through the sonogram, echoed through his head set up sympathetic rhythm in his chest. His child, his son. 
He started listing in his head all those things he imagined a father would share with his son, but immediately he came up against the strangeness of being in Japan. Football was big here, but Harry had never been into vicarious sports. Walking, the wilderness, that was the thing. And who knew where they would be by the time their son was old enough to take walking? He looked over at Sachiko again, noticing afresh how her gait had changed in this new state of pregnancy. It would be a while before they breathed the fresh mountain air of the National Park again together. What with the winter, and now her developing pregnancy, they'd not left Tokyo together for months. Well, the move up north would help with that. It would be all on their doorstep. That was a free extract from Fukushima Dreams, currently funding on unbound.co.uk. This book needs your support to get into bookshops. If you enjoyed this chapter, please fund it.